Welcome to Processing Severance, our after-show podcast brought to you by the Hollywood Critics Association. We are so excited to be talking about episode five today. I'm Rasha Goel, joined by my co-host, Rick Hong. Be ever merry. And Jeff Ewing. My eyes are kind. I've been practicing. Oh, good. I was going to ask you about that Mm -hmm. today. Good, good, good. All right. So again, we're going to be talking about episode five of the show. And just a reminder, if you haven't seen that show yet, the actual show, you may want to come back to our episode because there might be some spoilers in here and we don't want to ruin it for you. Uh, We're going to be recapping the show. And also, if you are not following us yet, subscribe to our Hollywood Critics Association YouTube channel. You'll get so much more on there along with our after show. Um, like comment and by the way i have been going through the comments we all have and thank you for engaging i'm going to be sharing some of those but it's so nice to hear from all of you even on twitter you can follow us on twitter as well and on instagram so ah i am excited for episode five guys a lot a lot to talk about yeah right i mean there's goats there's (laughs) paintings uh, there's experiments happening. There's there's a lot, a lot, a lot happening. So And we got an answer to our cliffhanger. Yeah, oh yes. Yes, we did. I mean, I guess we kind of knew what was gonna happen with Helly. But of course the show does open with Helly being rescued, whether she wanted to or not. And I think we did anticipate that she's probably gonna be with us until the end of the season. She's too good of a character. Oh, Can't keep is. her down. No, and I think we need her vibe and her energy with the other four characters. So I'm glad they were able to save her, even though I think her Innie may not be happy with our decision. But I'm looking forward to seeing her working with Mark. So, all right, we see Hallie being saved. Um, and then we see Mark kind of getting, you know, the brunt of it, especially from the big boss. Uh, Harmony's not happy with him at all. She dis- He disappointed her. I've been talking a lot, so uh, you guys tell me what, what's been, uh, what stood out to you in this episode. Well, because I think it's the introduction of the book. The book is, you know, like talking about, you know, like they talk about failing and they're talking about you know uh, machines can't think for themselves and a good person follows the rules but a great person follows himself and so like I think when you introduce that to a character that's you know the any you know just it's, it's it's almost like propaganda to a degree so that's why like we're kind of seeing like this defiant guy because he's reading a whole different philosophy about who he is or like what you should be doing in the workplace or doing something for yourself. Actually, uh, to, to build on that, it's really interesting to me because the the, the passages that we, we get from the book, not very good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love them, but uh, bullies are bull and lies. Uh, they can't crucify you if your hand is in a fist. They totally can, practically. That's not really useful. But the, the thing is, it's not very good. So the fact that it still speaks to them and gives them a sort of uh, a linchpin for resistance, you know, and kind of provokes them to, to, to think about themselves at work in a different light, says a lot about how restrained and constrained and just kind of dead inside they were going about the motions as, uh, as far as they're concerned, a permanent any. Well, and piggybacking off what you said, Rick, about the machines, right? So one of the quotes that I wrote this down because it stood out to me was, 
that it was not me who was wrong, but literature itself. <laughs> and to truly find my place in that world, I would first need to break it entirely. So that just really stuck with me because I feel like a lot of people in real life might be dealing with that. Like when you're working and you're just going on through this monotonous schedule every day. I don't know, like I loved its usage in the show, but it just made me think about it's kind of a reflection of what many people are dealing right now and have dealt with throughout the pandemic as they're making choices of staying at jobs or leaving. You know, well, there's also the thing right now, too. I mean, just like literally just a couple of days ago where they're talking about how a lot of the tech companies now are changing their rules about working from home. Now they're kind of saying, okay, you need to come in a few days a week. And they're saying because of this. Well, that's because our president is kind of wanting to make those changes too. Yeah. So like, so like you're, you're going to see some like people like mass exodus and this and that. And then I even saw somewhere else where they're even saying that certain people will just like, are like, are like allowing themselves now not to, you know, be like this go getter. They're just going to coast. They're just going to sit there and say like, I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to do the bare minimum at my job, you know, versus like trying to get that promotion or trying to, you know, get those numbers and everything like, like we see in this, that's what that's what that's what's so great about the show is, you know, those philosophies and those ideas and everything. But I think that's why this show is so captivating, right? Because it, it does kind of make you once you watch an episode, you kind of think beyond just watching the episode and what these characters are doing. Because I don't know, I feel like they're subconsciously planting a message in our minds as well or sharing something with us. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think it's really relatable because, uh, I mean, like you're saying right now, we see a lot of people rejecting uh, work, rejecting bad jobs, wanting things to be different, wanting more agency in their schedule and in their how they spend their life. But it's uh, it's interesting to me because this this show really shows their day to day life, and and their company won't love them back. And being that all day long is not making them the person they want to be. And we've all had. Uh, well, m the, the vast majority of us, perhaps, except for the lucky like 0.01%, have you know, had a lot of jobs that don't make us our best selves, that don't speak to our, our real interests or goals. And uh, so, you know, but they still create us as we do them. And so at a certain point, you have to make a choice. And that's what these characters are, are really re starting to realize. Yep, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. I just want to take a minute, though, um, especially for those of you who have been interacting with us on YouTube or even on our emails, by the way. So our email, again, is shows at HollywoodCriticsAssociation.com. Make sure to put severance in the subject. But um, some of you uh, wrote in and shared a couple of things with us, and so I'm going to share two right now. Um, one of them was about Mark's brother-in-law. So somebody predicted from the last episode, and this is Zoe Takahashi, Hashi. Hats off to you, Zoe. Mark's brother-in-law will probably ask him if he's read his book, and Mark won't have any idea what he's talking about since Miss Selvig took it. This may lead to Audi Mark becoming more curious as to who took it and why. So I feel like you are on to something because um, we do see the book being discussed in this mm -hmm. episode. And let's jump to that scene. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed seeing Mark interacting with his sister, Devin, and, you know, the baby's coming. They're expecting it. So now we're getting to see the Audi world a little bit more mm. since we had been seeing kind of more of the innie. Right. Right? In, in the previous episode. So I love seeing that. But that conversation between him and the brother-in-law, um, while she steps out for coffee, is just hilarious. And they're hanging kelp 
<laughs> I mean, that right there just tells me about Rickon. Yeah, and, and telling, uh, what was it, telling secrets, you know? Uh, <laughs> they have very odd rituals, but I just love how concerned he was, like, like it's an advanced copy. Um, like, I don't really think that people are piling over each other to to break the copyright on your text, friend. Like, I really don't think so. But, you know, it it provides enough. The weirdness of it, I think, is catchy enough to be powerful for the innies. Uh, in the Audi world, you know, who knows? But as far as they're concerned, all they've ever seen book-wise is, is uh, Kier's literature. So, you know, a little bit of novelty is good for them. Yeah, yeah, you get to you get to see the kind of the neuroses of Rick and the guy that's writing this like weird literature that you were like commenting on. It's just, it's it's kind of it's like this weird you know philosophical babble, and then you know and then he has the the nerve just to be like I'm hurt that you know I gave this thing to you five days ago <laughs> and you have not responded. It's just kind of like what, dude. So you get an idea of the kind of person that's writing this stuff too. So like it's good. It's like subtle, but it's in there. Definitely get an idea of his character. And, you know, if I go, I'm, I'm jumping here, but I want to go back into the office setting. And um, an important, I think, comic kind of situation was when we see um, Melchick and Mark sitting. And this is when he's supposed to kind of bring, you know, Heli back in and, and work with her. And he asks her, um, he asks him, do you know how to make your eyes kind? So what's been interesting about the episodes thus far is like there's subtle comedy, right? Mm-hmm. You'll see Dylan with his quirks or or Irving or Bert make comments. But this to me, I actually thought that entire scene was so funny. Just the way Mark was responding, the way Milchek was asking. Like there was that real moment of comedy for me as an audience member watching it. Um, what did you guys make of that scene? You know, Adam Scott's lucky that he has like those big eyes. You know, if he doesn't have like those big expressive eyes where we can kind of see just this subtle like, you know, like you can't see with my eyes, but like with <laughs> oh, but it's but, literally above you. Yeah, but <laughs> but but with his eyes and like, and, I mean, I can only imagine just sitting there like acting and they like probably like at like you know like when he's looking at the script, he's probably like looking in a mirror too, <laughs> like trying just to practice and say like how effective can I get it to be so. It's a good, it's a good scene, right? Just a good, like, just scene of just a little bit of, yeah, comedy or just a, like, a little bit of relief. Yeah, and then his first attempt at using kind eyes, and it, it ends up like this. <laughs> it's not exactly the intended effect, uh, but it's it's funny to me because Milchek is clearly performative uh, emotionally, because you know, at the end of the day, he will pretend to be nice to you, and they've acknowledged that, like, oh, he's being nice right now, but he's just the company's machine. You know, completely. Well, then the day, like I said, he's HR, so he's actually the enforcer. Like HR is never your friend. No. So in this situation, right? It's like they they want to be your friend until they don't. Yeah. But in this situation too, he's not really making a lot of decisions. There's that one scene where he goes up to Harmony and asks her what she's doing with Miss Casey, and I I remember that response of Harmony saying, "Well, I'm trying an experiment." You know, and she doesn't tell him exactly why she did it or what she's doing, what's the purpose of it. So he is like, he's just executing whatever the rules are and just following the rules and making mm-hmm. sure things get done. I think a lot of different things happened in this episode, though. I think episode five gave us many, many different nuggets. You know, we see the interaction with Mark and his sister saying, I think there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. And that's the, and that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the, that's the interesting thing about the show. And it, it made me think even more is that, you know, like I kept talking about the 90, 10, the 70, 30, about any Mark and outside Mark. 
you know, it's something like they're coming to a middle somewhere. Like that's what we're being shown. So then think about this is a little bit off the thing, but think about Heli, where she is like any Heli is nowhere near Audi Heli. So how does that, so like, how does that work, you know, in terms of like what some of the stuff that we're going to see, like maybe like later on. Yeah. It's also interesting to me too, because it's one thing I've been thinking about is if you, if you look at the difference between the any and Audi self and that Heli conflict, the inner and outer conflict, which for us, you know, everyone has it for her. It's very literal. Uh, it's so interesting to me because it, there's so many ethical questions that I think about, especially when we're, we, we go back an episode and we're, we're watching that video to herself and now we're watching the aftermath where, you know, meaningfully, they don't really have rights within Lumen Grounds. They can't quit. It's dependent upon this other external self. You know, you, they're, they're suffering and doing things out of desperation to themselves because they can't, you know, they don't have recourse. It's a weird little uh, unfree fiefdom once you're, you know, in the elevator. Well, I think that that still remains to be seen, right? Because we are kind of at the beginning of a shift right now. We're starting to see each of these characters question things. I mean, let, let's just take Irving, for example. I think he's one of my favorites. You know, I'm starting to see this very vulnerable side to him. Like, he's kind of an innocent baby as well, but he he wants to push the envelope, but he's a little scared. He always follows the rules, wants to listen to what the handbook says. And um, we see that fun scene between him, Dylan, and Bert. (laughs) When Dylan locks Bert up in that conference room (laughs) by saying that he's attacking Irving. And it's just, it's hilarious. And Irving's going crazy saying, we need a manager, we need a manager. Like there's so much chaos going on in there. And, but at the same time, you're seeing this beautiful love story that's happening between Irving and Bert. I mean, I just, there was a lot happening in that scene. It was a fast moving scene, but I felt like a lot of little innuendos were being shown in that scene. Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, I, <laughs> the, the ultimate third wheel problem with with Dylan there, but uh, you know, I, I love that they keep in this episode reinforcing the the growing connection between Irv and Bert because they're super cute together, uh, and they both need someone in company grounds. And I feel like this this is a sort of thing that Ir- you know, all, all the characters needed a different type of push to move them from their earlier complacency to the characters they're becoming. And for Irv, who's so by the book, he needed to have a little different type of meaning. And Bert gets him and can sell, you know, can it help him grow through through his connection to the literature. Like, oh, well, Kier says this. So this next step is okay. And he knows how to talk to him. Like this, like the great thing about this scene is that it's it's very clear in the sense of, you know, Dylan being like, are you sweet on this guy? <laughs> you know, so it basically just gives us some sort of an answer of where, like, you know, like to see where Irving's at. And then also same thing from Bert's, you know, Bert's side. He's just like, like what, are, what are you doing in here? Well, you know, you weren't, you know, I wasn't sure if it was like this or that. So, like, I was trying to think of, like, some sort of good joke and everything. So, like, it's, it's very clear that, yeah, like, they, there is a relationship there that wants to form and everything. And, like, and like they're very, being very clear in the show with like having Dylan ask the question and like mm-hmm. Bert's gestures and everything that like, okay, the, the weird things we're seeing aren't just like a work connection, uh, you know, a lumen connection. It's like, there's like a deeper thing going on with the two of those guys. Mm-hmm. But in general, that's what I was saying is like with each of these characters, we're really starting to see a little bit more 
in depth, I guess I would say. Like they're not just these machines that they're supposed to be. Now we're starting to see things where there are some feelings. Uh, there's there's the emotion of trust. We're seeing the feelings of love. So it's almost like we're seeing them beyond what they were originally programmed to mm -hmm. be. And it's going to be interesting to see how they all work together to fight the system. You know, one thing, too, that I do want to bring up is the black tar. Um, we, we've seen that now mm -hmm. um, a couple of times with with Irv only, which is so interesting, too. Like, why does Irv only see the tar? And what does that black tar stand for? Because for me, I just feel like it's it's darkness that's taking away from his light. It's It's some type of memory that's being blocked for him. Um, I don't know, or it could be a malfunction in the chip. Yeah, it could be. I, it, it's a little hard to say, but it's definitely reaching a crisis point to the, you know, the, the level where he sees it coming out of Mark and, and impeding <laughs> yeah. in their interaction, right? Uh, but it's so far, as far as we can tell, it's specific to Irv's experience, and we don't know what it means because we still don't know what his Audi life is really like. I still think it might be a bit of a, like you're saying, a malfunction in the chip that something from his exterior life is starting to bleed into his experience. But I also think if we were to really break it down, I'm sure it also has really strong metaphorical meaning too. Yeah, because we, we, we saw it, you know, like he's got like his, you know, look, looking at his fingernails, the dirt underneath his fingernails. So like, right, it could be like you were saying, like something from the Audi world that's there. Mm -hmm. And like, that's why we're seeing that. And that's, and that's a piece of the malfunctioning of the chip. Mm -hmm. And we cannot forget the baby goats. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I'm sitting here watching this episode. I'm like, all right, what's going to come next? What's happening? And all of a sudden we go into this scene with Mark and Helly walking into this room and there are baby goats, but even the man who's kind of feeding these baby goats, it's a very eerie, eerie scene. Now I definitely feel he belongs to corporate somewhere I, or i don't know there's something kooky and eerie about him but just the way the interaction is with the goats but my question was what are the goats being used for i mean is there blood being drawn or are the you know is the blood going into those chips or where are these goats going because we just see them for that short period of time and then they're gone we, there's no reference in the remainder of the show to them yeah i, I think it's interesting too because uh, you know at the end of the day even though lumen's still mysterious uh, everything they do is for the kids, which in this case is about the baby goats. Uh, no, seriously. Ba -ba -da -ba. No. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Jeff. Um, someone had to. Uh, but uh, I, I think in this particular case, we don't know at this point what they're for. I'm not even sure that the the very angry suited man who is caring for the goats really knows what they're for because we st at this point we're starting to to tell that nobody really knows why they're doing what they're doing what it's used for how it connects to literally anything else but at the same time you know like with this show you don't introduce something without having some sort of mm -hmm. meaning so right maybe not for this episode Maybe not for this episode. Maybe like for the next episode, for the end of this season, we'll get. But I mean, but that's a great thing too. You introduce this random weird thing at like work. It's like, blue. yeah, goats. It's like you're not on a farm. You're inside of a building, and you have one guy just sitting there nursing them. I mean, that's that's like alone. It's like, what in the world is going on in this place? Yeah. What is our purpose if we have goats in a room and one dude is just right. sitting there? Yeah, like and feeding he's mad. Them. He's like He's an upset. angry person. He's They're like, not get ready out. Yet. Yeah. They're exactly. not ready. Right. Like, ready for what? Yeah. 
That's what I want to know. But that's the big question still, right? That's looming amongst us. What happens at Lumen? What do they do? And I think we're all still trying to figure that out. Was there anything else that stood out in this episode? Of course, we do see that interaction, too, with Devin, Mark's sister, uh, with that random rich woman. And she's just taken by her in this um, baby delivery camp place and as you know as, and as mark says he's like it, medical facility he's like is that what we're calling this place you know because i was like saying cabin and i was like because like that's what was interesting about the episode was that when we got there i was like it's like these weird random cabins you know yeah. but he's like saying medical facility and it's like a baby airbnb yeah yeah very haunting though again i mean if even in this episode too even though we have so many different nuggets and several different scenes there's always something that's kind of jarring that you're left with or even just haunting that makes you question mm-hmm. where is this going so just like you said i mean there's a purpose for it. it's going to lead to something but what does it all mean in, in this frame you know and i can only think with those baby goats too like so i think in gaelic i looked it up i look in gaelic here means it's like small dark one so, you know, if we're talking like sacrifices or something, you know, because baby goats. Yeah, yeah. So uh, sacrificing baby bad. goats? Hope not. I hope not either. Uh, but maybe, though, because this place is creepy and cult-like. Um, I, I do want to mention, uh, I, I feel like we have to mention the artwork, though. Of course. I was going to come to that. The oh, painting. Same mind. What's going that, on? That was a huge, huge thing in this episode, and especially because... There's the paintings have been seen by Dylan now. And let, let's just rewind back a little bit. So we already know that Irv has gone with Bert to the O and D department, right? The optics and design department, uh, which already is just a really big deal. But now Dylan is brought in. Now the interesting thing is that there's two similar paintings, but they're exactly not the same. And I, I, I thought that was so interesting how Irv noticed that the tags. And each of the paintings were different. And it started qu- making him question what, again, is happening at this company. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's interesting that the first one, too, is Milchek intentionally sort of like planting it yeah. to dissuade Irv from his little rendezvous in O&D, which uh, between that and the fact that that each department has their own different one showing the other one sort of cannibalizing it's uh, the 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 contrary department and they they have this long standing history uh, of mutual distrust and weird stories i definitely think that it it's so interesting because lumen really it not only doesn't want you to know what you're doing with your own work, but it definitely doesn't want the different departments talking to each other. It's bizarre, but it's but it's a good way to keep people away from each other, to, like to instill that fear. Because mm-hmm. well, we saw it with Dylan, at least. Dylan, for sure, you know, had like that from the get-go. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He has a lot of fear. And, you know, it, it just takes me back to that thing, too, again, that everybody is part of a big experiment here. You know, everything is constantly being experimented, even with the placement of these pictures. So the value of these workers is pretty much zero. They don't really care. They're there's constantly running these tests, trying to figure out whatever it is that they're trying to do. But there is really no human value worth. And I wanted to share a comment that had come in through our emails from John Dill. Um, And John, this is so interesting. He says, what we are seeing in the office is an implanted reality. The work they are doing eight hours a day 
I'm sorry, the work they are doing is in reality nefarious and not mundane. The clue of you are murdering people eight hours a day is not extraneous. That very, very clever theory. I think there's something just to be said about that. I mean, if you dive deeper into the situation with these paintings mm-hmm. and these employees and, um, yeah, thank you, John, for sharing that. I, I love how you really dove deeper in, in into what's happening into this office. It, it, it's kind of interesting to speak to that because they, they have li- they're so far removed from the consequences of their activity that they have this weird emotional connection driving them through changing these numbers. But they do, they have so many different theories as to what they're even doing. They absolutely could be doing all sorts of nefarious things with their their stuff. That's why we watch. We're still like that's like one of those answers that we have not gotten yet, and we're yeah we're we're at like we're at the halfway point. I know, but I, I mean, how did you guys overall feel about episode five? I have to say, it was one of my favorite episodes because I really enjoyed all the different scenes that were incorporated, and I did feel that it was constantly building up to something. And I'll say, you know, for people who are watching this show. I do think Severance is one of those shows that possibly when you watch the first or second episode, you may think it's slow. The pacing is slow. You may not get into it. But as you continue to watch, you'll notice that the pacing of the show starts building up. You'll notice that with the music. Um, You'll notice that with the dialogue and just with each of the characters. But I just love the buildup. And I I even felt in episode five, we saw a lot more scenes that were Mm -hmm. cut together than previous episodes. Yeah, like, so, like, yeah, because, like, Stiller has done, like, the first batch. This is, you know, Aoife McArdle has been doing this, like, next batch. She did this mm-hmm. one. And even, like, when we're watching the beginning, you know, like, we're all, we all are waiting in, like, suspense about Heli. Is she going to live? Is she going to die? And, like, they kind of, they did some clever things with that, you know, in terms of just her, like, going up the elevator and then the guy upstairs not being there. Yep. You know, and then you see, like, Grainer running down the hall and everything and Mark's in there. And so... Yeah, I think she did a great job with just executing this. And then just even as they're walking down the hallways, the light's coming on. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not like the hallway's completely lit. You know, as they walk, the lights come on and, and they turn off and everything. So, Yeah, and, and I also think that another thing that's really kind of uh, enhancing this feeling of a quickening pace is the fact that the characters' actions are getting bigger and bolder episode by episode. And the counter reactions are also getting bigger and bolder where now they're starting to do different uh, rogue tests on our protagonists and our protagonists are acting out more and with, you know, more ferocity and more, um, you know, uh, just larger changes here and there. And it's getting really exciting. And I really look forward to seeing what they do next. Oh, I'm excited to see how this whole thing's going to unravel, especially with the goats. I mean, I'm so mystified with the goats, but even just to see what happens with the characters and really where Mark is going to go. Because at first, Mark just came off as this subdued person who's just kind of living life day to day. And now we're seeing him question himself. We already had seen that little rebel in, you know, Heli. And then I think we're also going to start seeing a little bit more of development with Dylan and Irv. Um... Like I said, there's this beautiful kid-like vulnerability to Irv, which I feel he's going to start surpassing a little bit more, like he's going to get a little bit more ballsy mm-hmm. and, and kind of start questioning who he is. But I'm, I'm interested in seeing how each one of these characters develops into that and then how they kind of come together to maybe even fight the system. Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing as, as I was watching. I was like, yeah, are these, are these groups, how are, the, how are these groups, are they going to, right, like, are they going to rise 
rise up, you know, like rise together or is it they're going to like, is that going to take a little bit or will they not rise together? Yeah. And it's also interesting too, because they're very different characters. You know, Dylan loves his games and his challenges. Uh, Irv is by the book, but clearly needs that actual interpersonal connection. So they're, they're motivated by different things to get to a point where they can start with the bigger questions and start opposing what Lumen wants for them a little bit more. And they're all coming out in, in their own way. Yeah. I love that. And before we wrap up here, uh, what do you both think about the merging of the departments? I mean, this is a big thing happening at Lumen and they clearly do not want these employees um, interacting. And now we see two of our employees having walked over into the O and D department. What do you guys think is happening there? Are we going to see the departments merging together more? Well, because there were a lot of people in there. So it's going to be, it's, it's like, to, we've got like a couple episodes to try to see like how many of those other characters they can incorporate, you know, into that story without messing with the, the storylines that we have like right now, but potential, but there's a lot of potential there too. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, because it's still kind of a mystery to us what both departments do <laughs> and they don't understand what each other do as well. Which kind of makes sense because they don't understand what they do. So uh, how they would get integrated is really, especially with this long history of antagonism, is really going to be an interesting challenge going forward. I'm just going to say there is a lot of mind-boggling happening. And this show definitely makes me think a lot when we think about the analysis of it. Uh, not a show I can just watch once. So I, I definitely do watch it a few times. But I, like I said, I enjoyed episode five. Anything else you guys want to say before we wrap it up here? I'm not sorry. You're not sorry. Okay. <laughs> I think this is uh, my final thought is that this is my favorite uh, on-screen nefarious goat farm I've ever seen. <laughs> And I'm going to practice how to make kinder eyes. So for all of you watching, thank you once again for joining us on Processing Severance, our after show podcast brought to you by the Hollywood Critics Association. And again, keep those emails coming. Keep the comments coming. The email address again is shows at HollywoodCriticsAssociation.com. Make sure to put severance in the subject. Um, again, we love hearing from you. So check out the next episode and keep tuned and let us know what you think of our show. Thank you once again for joining us on Processing Severance.